So we're talking about love this morning. Um, I really don't like that word because it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'm just gonna. I can see everyone now. You just see me. I was just hitting my place All right, so we're talking about love. And like I said, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And um, I feel like the word doesn't really encapsulate what we're going to talk about, right? Because love is just a metaphor for God, for this big emotion, this state of being that surpasses all knowledge. Today we're going to talk about a love that we do nothing to earn. A love that radically changes how we view ourselves and others. And a love that empowers us to work towards justice. In this scripture that Duncan read, Ephesians 14.21, for the recording folks, (laughs) um, I like how it starts out and it says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I like that first little bit because it says every family. Not just those who profess Christ. Not those who live a certain, uh, follow a certain set of steps or have gotten to a certain place. It's every family. And then he also says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. So we are made in love. We are born in love. And we end in love. It's a part of who we are. He goes on to say that you would have the power together with the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses all knowledge. You see, that's the point, is God loves us. All of us. That's the good news. Several months ago, Bud Wiggin came here and he spoke, and he uh, shared a verse from 1 John that I loved and I feel like um, also contributes to this idea. It's 1 John chapter 3. It says, See what great love the Father or the Mother has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Right? We belong to God. We don't have to earn it. This is good news. The comedian Pete Holmes, um, in his book, Comedy, Sex, God, that's a list, not a descriptor, Comedy, Sex, God, Um, he sort of talks about realizing the depth of God's love is kind of like having a dream that you're back in school, and it's final exam, and you realize that you haven't studied. And he writes that, My only hope is to scramble and ask everyone I know to borrow their notes and their books so I can cram and maybe, just maybe, pass the test. But then something clues me in and it suddenly dawns on me. Wait a minute. I'm not in high school. I'm 39 years old. I don't need this book. This is a dream. There is no test. And then he writes, Suddenly, I'm free. It's the best feeling in the world. 
he writes about kind of like Jesus Christ going around and being like, hey, relax, you don't need this book. There is no test. You know the good news? Rob Bell in his book, Love Wins, puts it this way. What the gospel does is confront our version of our story with God's version. Right? We all have our own version of our story. Um, sometimes it's a version that we've, we've told ourselves. Sometimes it's a version that maybe someone else has told to us. You know, uh, almost a year ago I shared a little bit about my story and realizing that the version of the story I was telling myself was actually a complete lie. And recognizing God's version truly changed me. And, and that's, I can talk more about that at another time. But the point is, God loves us. That's his version of our story. That's the good news. And you see, accepting that love, not only does it radically change how we view ourselves when we realize we are loved exactly as we are, it, it radically changes the way we view others, too. When I first had Eloise, I ended up quitting my job. And I loved my job. Um, I had a lot of my identity wrapped up in what I did and feeling very important. Um, so there was a huge shift for me in many ways. And an acquaintance of mine had invited me um, to join a MOP group. MOP is Mothers of Preschool Students. As an aside, I always felt like it should be POPs for parents to be more inclusive, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> um, anyway, she invited me to join this MOPs group and met at um, the Baptist Church just a few blocks from where, um, where I lived. And so I decided to join. I thought, why not? I'll join. Um, the way MOPS is set up is you have, uh, there are different women at your table. They're all moms. Um, typically, they live near you. And at each table, there's also what's called a mentor mom. Mentor mom is typically someone older. Their kids are usually grown. So they have uh, kind of gone through the phases of parenting that you're either going to go through or that you're in. Um, our mentor mom at our table, her name was Janice. We called her Miss Janice. And um, I liked moms okay. Uh, I didn't really jive with everybody that well, but it was fine. Um, Miss Janice was interesting. Um, she uh, was a very conservative lady. Um, she was a you know, Bible-believing evangelical that voted for Trump and um, was very uh, vocal about that. She um, regularly said things that were pretty overtly racist or homophobic. And um, I, I didn't really like Miss Janice. Um, I judged her. I, in my mind, she was this flat, one-dimensional character that could be on a comedy sketch. And I, I just didn't care for her. I thought she had no compassion. I thought she was unintelligent. Anyway, Miss Janice invited our whole table to come to her house for dinner one evening. And I wasn't really super thrilled with the idea of going, but I thought, eh, maybe I should go. Maybe it would be good. So I went. And um, while I was there, uh, I learned a little bit more about Miss Janice. I learned that her mom had died when she was 11, 
um, that during some of her formative teenage years, she was raised only by her father. Um, I learned that she has an estranged daughter. Uh, she doesn't see or speak with, but she um, is helping raise her daughter's children, her grandchildren. And it kind of dawned on me after that that I was pretty harsh towards Miss Janet. Um, I judged her really harshly. I I didn't look at her as a whole person. Um, you see, I had learned that and accepted that God loves me. And I was willing to extend that love to all kinds of other people. I was willing to extend it towards someone who doesn't believe in God at all. I was willing to extend it towards someone that's addicted to drugs, to any, anybody that was totally different than me, except somebody that came from a conservative tradition that I had long moved away from. And see, the thing is, is Miss Janice is still God's child, and God loves Miss Janice, just like he loves me. You see, recognizing God's love changes the way you view people. And right, I don't want you to mishear me and think that means that love is soft and that uh, people can just do whatever they want and it doesn't matter. But the thing is, is when I'm looking at Miss Janet, instead of looking at her as this, um, as this character sketch, I can look at her as a child of God. See, this is what leads us to that love empowers us to seek justice while also extending mercy. And I'll be honest, I don't really understand what this means. <laughs> um, this is, there's a huge tension there between these two for me. Um, I feel like they're linked, right? That we can't ever really have true justice without love being in it. And you can't, you can't unfuse those two things. They're together. I want to share with you guys a story um, that kind of goes along with this idea of love and justice going together. Um, it's an article that I read many months ago in the Washington Post, and I want to give you guys a heads up. It's a little bit of a disturbing story, um, so if anybody feels uncomfortable, please, you can step out. Um, that's fine. Uh, the story is about a woman named Laura Calderwood and she lives in a small town in Iowa. She has two kids, Molly, who's 20, and still lives at home, and then her son, Scott, who's in high school. Um, their town that they live in, their small town, has a, a pretty big immigrant community, both um, documented and undocumented. And as you can imagine, with the way the rhetoric and uh, today's political climate goes, there's a lot of... Uh, division about that and um, Laura doesn't really care for the rhetoric that she's hearing on the TV she doesn't really have a problem with their immigrant community um, and she just kind of wishes people wouldn't make such a big deal about it um, in fact her uh, son Scott his best friend his name is Ulysses and his parents are undocumented immigrants um, and, and they regularly spend time together one day, um, her daughter Molly doesn't come home in the evening. It's not totally unusual. She's 20. Even though she lives at home, she has her own life. So Laura doesn't think much of it. 
But then the next day, um, Laura gets a call from Molly's work, and Molly didn't show up for work. And that's a little alarming to Laura, so she thinks, well, that's not really like her. So she ends up contacting the police. They end up filing a missing persons report, and they start searching for Molly. Some time passes, and unfortunately, um, Laura's worst fears are confirmed when they find Molly's body. Um, they find out that um, Molly was sexually assaulted, and then she was stabbed seven times before she died, and then her body was um, hidden. Um, it comes out that um, her killer is actually an undocumented immigrant. And um, Laura doesn't know what to think. There's this huge tragedy, this grisly murder. She's lost her child. And she's so disturbed by this, she doesn't even go to the arraignment. Like, she's like, I don't even want to see this man. I don't even want to see his face. And all the prosecutors tell her um, that this man is pure evil. So time passes on, and the town is even more divided because of this murder, right? This is just fuels the hatred and the rhetoric. And so a lot of the immigrants there feel like they're no longer safe. They can no longer live there, including her son's best friend, Ulysses, and his parents. So his parents say, we have to move. We can't live here anymore. Ulysses is a senior in high school. He doesn't want to leave in the middle of his senior year. He's talking to Laura's son about this, and Laura's son says, hey, come live with me. And Laura agrees. And some people kind of roll their eyes at that. They're like, your daughter was just murdered by an undocumented immigrant, and here you are taking in the son of an undocumented immigrant. Why would you do that? But she kind of keeps her head down. She doesn't want to make a fuss about any of this. And so life goes on. In the time of Ulysses living with them, Laura learns that the man that killed her daughter actually lives next door to Ulysses and his family. He used to have dinner with them. Um, she ends up hearing that, uh, finding out that he's 24 years old. She ends up Googling him and seeing his face. She writes that he seemed younger and thinner than she imagined. She hears from Ulysses that he had a family back home in Mexico and that he was here working and sending money back to them. She learns that he has a young daughter back home too. And she says, all I wanted to do was picture him how everyone else had told me, as pure evil, as without conscience. And that hearing some redeeming things about him made her feel uncomfortable and unmoored. And Laura's friends Tell her, you're completely justified to hate this man, to want him to rot in jail forever, to want him to die. He murdered your daughter. Of course, this makes sense. And yet Laura writes, she can't let the hatred and fear consume her. You see, this story doesn't have a good ending. It doesn't end with Laura saying she forgives this man and everything is happy and great. And, and I don't tell this story to minimize or trivialize the tragedy that has happened here or her grief. But to me, the fact that she can even look at this man and 
see him as a whole person, it's because she is in God's love. Now, I don't know her. I don't, I don't know her religion. I don't know if she believes in God. I don't know if she professes um, to know him at all. But whether she knows it or not, what she is exhibiting is God's love, right? Because love empowers us to seek justice while also extending mercy. The Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, he wrote, where love stops, power begins, and violence and terror. In 1 John chapter 4, we hear, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Right? Accepting God's love, knowing that God loves us, is huge. And to me, that's the gospel. And then accepting it changes the way we view the world, but it also is a call for us to seek justice while also maintaining this uh, grounding, this fruit in love. And I want to kind of open it up a little bit. Um, Just briefly, I want to open it up for discussion. Um, What does this mean to you? Is this good news? How do we navigate this tension? You guys think I'm insane. <laughs> so, anyone, welcome to respond. I think this is something that I've thought on a lot. Um, there is a discussion um, in the larger community, there's definitely a black community about um, whether when first forgiveness is destructive to Mm-hmm. Right. Do you allow, um, by you setting aside what someone has done, mm-hmm. forgiving them, do you minimize um, what, what has been done? And so I, I don't have the answer, but I think this <coughs> this is the, definitely puts me back on on that thought process of you know, as a Christian, I believe in forgiveness, um, but what is the proper answer to when forgiveness happens, how, how do we deal with the fallout mm-hmm. of that release pressure? Because that mm-hmm. pressure is, is useful for something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I can, I can understand both sides of, mm-hmm. of that story. Um, uh, even though there's some, some, some casting starting to pull through. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I, um, as a white woman, I get very nervous talking about this because I recognize that I'm very privileged and I don't want to come across as saying like, oh yeah, we just need to forgive because it's no big deal because it doesn't affect me. And that's why I think this is, that's why this is confusing and I don't have the right answer, but I really appreciate your, your comment. I think that's true. <laughs> White, black, or anything. I think that's what a human impulse. Mm-hmm. Just to, you know, want peace. Yeah. But what, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, sometimes forgiveness or love gets a bad rap in secular circles because the church kind of weaponizes it almost mm-hmm. like a way to like, assault someone and then respond. 
forgiveness, like in my example with Miss Janice, forgiveness is not so much about absolving Miss Janice of like poor behavior. Forgiveness for me is like ridding my heart of the like, I hate to say the word hatred, but really like the hatred that I have towards her, right? And so like for me, that is like the point of forgiveness. It's not so much about her as it is about me and the only way that I think I can do that is to be like fully grounded in God's love does that make sense um anyone else maybe one more I was going to say I think to both of their points I think when you talked about the um, you can't separate love and justice you know and the fact that they go together and so that I can forgive but justice still like even Mm -hmm. to that story as much as she wanted to forgive, he needs to be in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as you know, we may forgive and extend mercy. Justice still has to be connected mm-hmm. in that. And so, even as we talk about racial issues and different things, love and justice. And I think that has been the bigger problem. Is that there's been a lot of talk of getting over it, but it hasn't been a talk of justice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the fight. That's been the fight in the 20th century is where is the justice in mm-hmm. a lot of the friction that has been in our nation. Mm-hmm. That's good. I would expect that. Like, marginalized people are expected to forget mm-hmm. and there's not really much to ask from the people that are in the history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Um, thanks, everyone, for sharing.